got to say, Jeff, that blue shirt looks real good on you. It uh, brings out the color in your eyes, actually, um, and I mean that sincerely. You know, uh, uh, it, it, it is amazing to me how just a little compliment can change your day. Have you ever noticed that? If, if someone just says something nice, something good. So this morning in, in prayer time, um, you know, we were discussing some, you know, I, I like to think of our prayer group as kind of being advanced theology group. They, 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 they're a pretty smart group, and they kind of get into the meat of stuff. And, and at the end, I was anticipating something very profound or perhaps even theological from, uh, from Gary. And uh, he, he, he kind of stopped the conversation, and, and then he said to me, he says, man, those, those glasses look really good on you. And uh, I got to tell you, you may not think so, but the fact that uh, someone told me so, uh, I am wearing these glasses with great confidence today. <laughs> However, before I preach this morning, uh, I would like to invite you to, uh, to perhaps just, uh, I know we've greeted each other already, but perhaps pass on a, a thoughtful, I'm giving you a chance now as I'm talking, a thoughtful compliment or word to the person on your left and to your right, and you have to participate in doing this. Just a thoughtful compliment to your left and to your right. Would you do that right now? Okay. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay. If you have your Bibles, I now invite you uh, to, wow, you have a lot of compliments to pass on, Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I now invite you to turn with me to an epistle or a letter written to the people in Ephesus. Ephesus, a Greek colonized city in the early first century, um, located in Asia Minor, a coastal region, a port, a significant city. And so there's a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul to the Christians gathered in Ephesus. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and it is in the New Testament, so you're going towards the right-hand side of the Bible. And if you find it, uh, I'm going to be reading from chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 8. This is what the word of the Lord says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then in verse 15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The process of becoming a Christian is described in different ways. There are various phrases that is often used to describe what it means to be a Christian. You are familiar with some of those phrases, I'm sure. Uh, Some of those phrases are very common to Christian people and perhaps sounds very uncommon to non-Christian people. But it is very common for Christian people to talk about becoming a Christian as being born again. 
If, if, if you want to get a, a sense of how the world would hear this, then you can turn to the gospel account of Nicodemus when he asked about this eternal life, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus literally thinks physically and has a problem with this idea of what it actually means to be reborn. For us on the inside, the initiated, perhaps we understand what that means in a more spiritual way than perhaps people would hear it. There's also this word converted. That conversion, this idea, it's a bad word perhaps in the West today, that you know, you're not to try to convert anybody to your faith, right? You're not trying, you, you should not proselytize somebody. But this word conversion is also a biblical word. It speaks about a change and a transformation. In our text today, the word that is given for the transformation that happens when a person becomes alive to God is a phrase. Perhaps not a common use phrase and not a popular phrase, but it is this phrase. It is to move from darkness into light. I don't know if you've ever thought of the Christian faith as moving out of a certain position and posture into a different position and posture, but certainly what Paul is saying in this letter it is to shift from where you are into a new reality. It is to move from an existing place into a new place. Therefore, to speak of Christianity is to speak of being transformed and being changed. Now, so for all of us would agree with me, you'd say, that's good preaching, Stu, keep on going. Thank you. In verse 14 of this particular chapter, there is a reference that the apostle makes. And I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there. He says, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just want to unpack what the Apostle Paul means when he says we move from darkness to light. Now if you are learning to read the Bible or if you have read the Bible for a long time, and perhaps this will sound a little bit more academic today, but hopefully you can stay with me. I don't think it's that difficult. But if you read the Bible and you read the New Testament, you will quickly learn that if you want to understand the new, you must know the old. In other words, the Old Testament helps us to understand what is happening in the new. And more significantly, if you do good Bible study, whenever you see a quotation like this, you most likely in a good study Bible will realize that the author is referencing an Old Testament reference or scripture. He's looking back, he's referring back in order to make sense and perhaps apply a new truth in the present. This is one of the few places in scripture that no, no reference is made to Old Testament text. Some scholars have looked at this particular phrase and they've said this. They've said it looks like he's borrowing a little bit from Isaiah and a little bit from some of the other prophets, but there is no evidence biblically that this phrase actually was used by any prophet in the Old Testament. The best we can come up with is that this wake up, O sleeper, arise from your dead and let Christ shine on you was used as a baptismal hymn. In other words, when somebody became a follower of Jesus Christ and they were baptized, like I had the privilege of baptizing Eckley in the Cold Bow River this past fall, when someone becomes a Christian, think with me for a second, they would sing this hymn. The hymn would say, you have been a 
asleep, but now you are awake. You have been dead, but now you have been made alive. And as you become alive, Christ himself is present and shines upon you. Here is the reality of that baptismal formula, that to be Christian is not simply to be changed in this sense that now I am forgiven, I am saved, I am in, but it is actually to become alive to the presence of God. To be Christian is not just a positional change in the fact that I was once in darkness and now I am in light, but it is to be apprehended by the light. It is to know God. And perhaps one of the most significant points that Christianity makes that distinguishes that from most religions is this. It is not simply to experience peace, but it is to have a dynamic personal relationship with the living God. So when the apostle Paul says, live in the light, he is saying start living true to what God has made possible. Start being in your identity who Christ has made you. Recognize that not only has your position changed, and, and in the Bible, the Bible study this morning, I suggested that, that it's not just a positional change in this fact that you move from warm summer climates like Hawaii, or perhaps that's not a good example, or California to the Arctic white north in winter. It's not just a positional change, but it's a dynamic change in this, that you, through Jesus Christ, as a Christian, have been given all the privilege, all the grace, and all the opportunity to truly have a relationship with God. The way in which this relationship takes place is that we respond to that reality. We respond to the possibility in faith. We believe that when God says, I will reveal myself to you, that he will. We believe that when we pray that his Holy Spirit would fill our lives, that he in fact does exactly that. We believe that it is not simply a religion that we have converted to, but it is a personal relationship that is now possible through Jesus Christ and the anointing presence of his Holy Spirit. Now I've said something Uh, or nothing new to you today, and judging from your expressions, you are still waiting to be impressed. (laughs) I want you, however, to recognize that you may perhaps be Christian today, but the question that the text is asking is have you stepped into the reality of what God has made possible for you? Have you started to experience That light of Christ, not only in shining upon you, but in living through you. In making your life so transparent that what is in you reflects the very image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Have we as a community of faith moved into this realm of possibility made possible through Jesus Christ in which we truly have an anointed communing relationship with the true and living God. When we move from religious practice and duties and intellectual belief to a real-time experience of Christ in us and at work within our lives. The challenge of the text this morning is that we would become awakened we would become alive. Perhaps the word transparency that we chose for this value that I'm preaching on, and I am preaching on this value, and you can text in your questions as well. 
Perhaps this word doesn't quite capture what is described here, but I gotta be honest with you, it was hard to capture what we were talking about as a church. But the point that I'm making here this morning is that whatever we understand transparency to be, and in the text it's defined as all goodness, as all righteousness, and all truth, that it is only possible for you as a Christian and for us as a church to live that kind of transparent life in as much as we are united with Christ in faith. Let me put it another way. We as Christians are not pursuing a morality that places us above everybody else as the primary purpose of Christianity. We are pursuing knowing God personally, and out of that union with him, the scripture says, the fruit of goodness, the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of truth bears witness to that which is true in our relationship with him. I thought that was good. So what does the text teach us about this light? You know, I I have moments when I think I've come across something brilliant, and uh, they are few. It's once every four years, kind of like the leap year. Is that when the leap year happens? You're a tough crowd. I'm throwing my best humor at you today. (laughs) That's okay. My wife and children love me, so I can deal with your rejection. I don't know if you get this, but I thought it's worth to try and actually read what I wrote. That God's love for us is far richer than we can comprehend. He does not simply save us to keep us in a holding pattern until heaven's runway is clear for us to land in and in eternity Jesus is waiting in arrivals. He offers us the immense potential in the present to grow in the same ways in which Jesus has grown. In this world, to be in communion with him means that in the present we can be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus. We're not just waiting out our time to make it to eternity. We are called today to know him and to represent all of what that eternity will be in our very beings. The question is, how do we do this? How do we respond? I think our text teaches us two actions to be taken. The first is simply this. There are certain things to be avoided. If you believe and have faith that in Christ you are made new, that you belong to God, there's still work to be done. You see, this Christian faith is not simply about, hey, you know, I've been saved, so I'm good to go now, and you'll have to live with all my baggage, my problems, my failures, and etc. You see, our theological position in this church is that we've been saved, yes, but God loves you so much more that he wants to bring the very best out of you, and that's going to take some work. And so Jesus would teach us, as Paul would teach us, there's certain things that have to be avoided. Now, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to there. And uh, by the way, I think it's a good practice to bring your Bible to church. Just because the bulletin doesn't always have the other references that I use. And so, if you have your Bible, you can actually follow along. 
In Ephesians 2, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, speaking of the Gentile Christians that formerly were pagans who did not believe in Jesus Christ. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And then in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The truth is that there may be some of us sitting here this morning who sincerely desire to live a life free from our past identity. We desire to live out of the darkness. We no longer want to be a part of that way of life, that way of thinking. Perhaps there's a a sense in which we feel gripped, we feel bound, we feel that, that, that you know, even, Stu, you got to believe me when I say to you, and I will believe most of you if you said this to me, I truly want to live a life pleasing to God, but there are things in my life that seemingly come up and that keeps me from living this free life that God has offered me. Perhaps this morning you say to me, Stu, I want to live free from sinful habits, from sexual immorality, from a bad temper, from abusive words or thoughts. Perhaps you say this morning, Stu, I want to live free from from gossip and the like, but more times than not, I find myself stuck. I find myself repeating the same things over and over again. You know what the response is of the text to those who find themselves living in darkness It is a response that perhaps at first doesn't seem powerful, but is all-powerful. It is a response that says this, the reason why you live under the power and the bondage of the darkness is because you have yet to believe what Christ has offered you and what he has done. The scripture says this, live in the light of the Lord because you are children of the light. If there's something I want to say to you today about getting over those kinds of things, it is this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I know it is popular to have a perspective of Christianity that goes something like this. You know, I'm a Christian and I'm saved, but I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to live short because, you know, we're all just human. You know what that is? That is making light and perhaps even Gnostic in its thought of who Jesus is and what he says is possible through him. This morning, you need to hear this. You can live in freedom from bondage and sin, not in your own strength, but in the power and resurrection power of Jesus Christ. For in him, we are not only under the light, but the light lives in us. My heart breaks 
for so many who struggle for so long with the hidden things. And you know what our scripture says, that there are things to be avoided and, and you can't avoid those things because Christ lives in you. You can live a holy life. It is, the, it is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that we can live a holy life. And, and here's the second action that the scripture says. If there are things to be avoided, there are things that has to be transformed. It says this, not only you know, should you know that there are bad things, but as you shine your light, you expose that which is wrong. And not only do you expose what is wrong, but the scripture uses this analogy, that that which is wrong can be transformed into light. Once again, when we allow the hidden things of our lives to keep us hidden and we don't allow the gospel, the grace of God, the truth of God to give us a boldness to bring those things to him and perhaps through confession bring it before him. Those things continuously hold us in bondage. But when we allow the light to shine on them, they lose their power. I'm not going to be naive But I'm going to say this, it is very hard to be honest. I'm not done yet, especially with Christian people. Yet, if I was to believe the New Testament, the New Testament would say this, yet the Christian community is the one place that you must most trust that your honesty will be met with grace and forgiveness and power, and transformation. You know why we have altars in this church? For transparency's sake. You know why we worship every Sunday? Part of it is so that we can gather to remind ourselves of who we've been made in Christ. Because I think as we live this life, there's the constant temptation to try and live under the old identity and not under the new identity. You know, when when we reduce worship to simply coming together to sing songs and perhaps have a good message, we have missed what Jesus has commanded us when he says, come to the table and eat and drink as often as you need to so that you will remember what I have done with, for you and that you will remember who you are. You see, the reason to come to worship, the reason to come to church, they, they, there's lots of good reasons. You, you can see the, the new outfit that I'm wearing or, or hear the great stories that is being told or sing a new song, but one of the most significant reasons the text teaches us to come is so that we would remember who we belong to and that in him there is great power. My friends, let me, let me suggest this. When we talk about a church that is that transparent, we are not talking about something that is superficial. We're talking about the kind of place where people can confess their sins, receive the grace of God, and receive the power to be transformed, and they can live free from whatever has held them back. Do you not long for such a gospel, such a hope, such a truth. You know what I hear all the time? It's just the way I am, Stu. Even worse yet, that's just the way he is. He ain't gonna change. Oh. 
how can the rich enter the kingdom? It says, Jesus makes an illustration. It's like trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. <laughs> I love that image. Have you ever thought about how hilarious it is to try and get a camel through the eye of a needle? And then his disciple says, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, what, what, what we need is Christians who begin to live transparent lives in the power of Jesus Christ. Here's a couple of good reasons why. Not so that we can stand in front of everybody and say, hey, I'm so righteous. Look at that divine halo that's above my head. When the hanky falls from my, from my side, if you pick it up, you will be healed. I am that good. But here's a good reason why. We need to stop giving people an excuse to continue to live in sin by ourselves living no differently. We need a community of faith that experience the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ in their life to overcome. That which seems impossible is possible in Him. Can I say to you this morning, And I'm not going to out anybody, but I do want to say this. I'm having very honest conversations with people these days. It is filtering into our community where young men, young women, people, not in droves, but one, and one, and one by one, are coming to the point of recognizing I am powerless to change certain things. I am powerless to overcome certain things in my own strength. Some of these people are turning to others to help them, which is a great first, it, it's a great response. I think the Christian community ought to be more responsive to helping others to overcome. But above all things, in the name of Jesus Christ, I welcome such conversations because I believe that when we confess our sins, He's not only faithful, and just to forgive us of that which holds us back. But he is able to grow us up to be the kinds of people that represent the very righteousness, the very goodness, and the very truth of Jesus.